Good morning and welcome to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten. As longtime listeners of the show know, each week a, a guest and I uh, discuss the weekly reading from the Torah. This week in synagogues throughout the world, Jews will be reading from Vayera. It is the uh, parashah that begins in Genesis 18, verse 1, and concludes in Genesis 2, verse 24. It is a Torah portion that is um, replete with fascinating stories. Isaac's birth, the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, the exile of Hagar and Ishmael, and what has come to be known in Jewish tradition is the Akedat Yitzchak, the binding of Isaac. Let me give you an overview of all of these stories. Uh, it begins by telling us that Abraham was sitting in his tent, having circumcised himself, and the implication is that he's recovering. And God appeared to Abraham, and as Abraham looked, there were three individuals standing before them. Abraham invited them to come in, and uh, he and Sarah made a meal for them. One of the men said that Sarah would have a son by the time he returns to their tent. Sarah, already in old age, heard this and laughed to herself, saying, Oh, that I shall have the greatest fulfillment now that I am already worn and my husband is old man. The text tells us God turned to Abraham and said, why did Sarah laugh? Is anything too great for Adonai? The visiting men left. Abraham escorted them on their way to Sodom. Now, God said to Abraham at this point, should I keep undisclosed from Abraham that which I am doing? The sin of Sodom and Gomorrah already weighs very heavily. I will go down and see if I need to destroy it. If not, according to the text, God says I shall handle things case by pace, meaning by individuals. Abraham stood before God, and we have this wonderful bartering. Will you ruin the righteous among the wicked? Perhaps there are 50. Perhaps there are less than 50. Shall the judge of all the earth not judge justly? And they begin uh, a uh, negotiation as if they were in an ancient shuk. And finally, uh, God agrees that if there are 10 righteous people, he will save the city, but there are not. We then. Um, see the destruction of the city of Sodom and Gomorrah in this week's Torah portion, and Lot is saved with his daughters. Um, and there are a number of smaller episodes, but we return to the main episode where it tells us that God remembered Sarah. She conceived and bore Abraham a son, which she named Isaac, and he too was circumcised on the eighth day. And you may remember, if you've read this section of the Torah, that prior to the birth of 
Isaac, um, Sarah's handmaiden, Hagar, had conceived a son named Ishmael. Ishmael makes Sarah jealous and she expels Hagar from the camp and God supports this. But Hagar and Ishmael survive their expulsion with the promise that Ishmael will be the founder of a great nation of his own. And the Torah portion finally concludes with the commandment to Abraham, take your son, your only son, your most beloved son, and offer him to me as a sacrifice. The end of the story is well known. Abraham does not sacrifice his son Isaac, instead offers a ram, according to the instructions of the angel. There are so many things in this week's Torah portion to, to speak about, and I am pleased that Rabbi Mark Levin, the founding rabbi of Temple Beth Torah in Overland, Missouri, is with me to discuss them. Rabbi Levin served Congregation B'nai Yehuda in Kansas City, Missouri, and is the author of two books, one a book about biblical text in Jewish liturgy, and the other a compilation of his wonderful and well-respected sermons. Rabbi Levin, welcome to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. Uh, it's very, very nice to be with you, and uh, thank you for that wonderful introduction. <laughs> I feel like basking in it for a little while, but I guess we should get over the conversation. Well, as a rabbi emeritus, you don't hear introductions often, so bask. <laughs> um, you and I, in planning our conversation, thought that we might start with the Akedah, with the binding of Isaac, which is really the concluding part of the Torah portion. So perhaps you can begin by offering to our listeners your initial thinking about this uh, fascinating episode in Torah. Yes, uh, it's quite a con- the twenty second chapter is quite controversial. Um, many people in uh, look, I've been a, a pulpit rabbi for forty four years, and in our movement, the Reform movement within Judaism. Uh, this chapter is read on the New Year, Rosh Hashanah, uh, on the first day. And in traditional Jewish life, it's read on the second day. But the point is that it's selected as a very important portion. And one needs to ask why. My experience with many people has been that it makes them very uncomfortable. The idea that God would command uh, his servant uh, the, the first of the patriarchs, beloved friend, Abraham, would command him to take the son for whom Abraham has waited his entire life. It seems like a number of things. One is a betrayal. Uh, one is a cruel choice. Uh, so, so what is this Torah portion really about? What is this chapter really about? And so I think it's, it's helpful to take a look at it closely. Well, you know, you mentioned that people can become uncomfortable with God's uh, commandment to Abraham. But certainly my experience is that many people are uncomfortable with Abraham's acceptance of the test, as it's called, and his willingness to uh, take his son on what will turn out to be a three-day journey to the top of the mountain. Yes, and when people say, well, Rabbi, what would you do today if this came to you? 
Well, I, I hate to be modest about this, but I don't have the relationship with God that Abraham had. I hope that goes without saying. Uh, <laughs> Abraham speaks directly with God, and Abraham has negotiated in chapter 18 when he's at Sodom and Gomorrah, and there's a back and forth there. So these are uh, two beings, one divine, the other human, who are in regular touch and who have communication. And as much as I am a person of faith, I've never had such conversations. So when someone says, "Would you do? what would you do today? I don't have the assurance that Abraham had in his day. Nor perhaps do you have the assurance that you would be asked uh, the way Abraham was asked. Um, but moving beyond our discomfort with this episode, what is this episode about? Yeah, so here's the part that I find most intriguing uh, and helpful. You have to go back already to chapter 6, uh, the very beginning of the second parasha, second Torah portion uh, in the book of Genesis. And chapter 6, verse 9, begins what we in our tradition called Noah, uh, the parasha of Noah, and it's the story of Noah. And if I could read just a couple of verses here, um, uh, this is the line of Noah. Noah was a righteous man. Okay? Noah was a righteous man. He was blameless in his age. Noah walked with God. So there are three qualities here. He was a tzaddik in Hebrew, a righteous man. He was blameless, but that, that word also means pure. He was tamim. And it says Noah walked with God. Noah halech. Noah walked, he hit halech with God. And so these qualities are ascribed to Noah, and that's the reason that Noah was chosen to save humanity. Now, just a little bit later, just a few verses down, it says that the people are being accused of Hamas. Uh, now, Hamas is translated in the, in the um, uh, Jewish Publication Society version as being lawlessness, uh, but in our tradition, uh, and, and I think the actual meaning, it's all kinds of uh, adverse actions. It's the opposite of tzaddik. Tzaddik is righteousness or tzedakah, and, and uh, Hamas is the opposite. So Noah was chosen because he is a man who is absolutely righteous and pure and walks with God, and the world is being destroyed uh, be, because it is the opposite of what God wants. And if you turn to Genesis chapter 17, verse 1, which is the parashah uh, just prior to the one that we are considering today, you look at 17.1, that says, When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am El Shaddai, walk in my ways and be blameless. And two of the three terms that are used for Noah are used here with Abram. Hithalech lefanai, a walk before me, and tamim, be pure. And the one uh, that, that is missing is uh, tzaddik, righteous. Now, if I may go on just a little bit. So let's just make sure, let's just make sure our listeners are following. You've made the comparison that when... God approaches Noah to save the world. He gives three qualities to Noah. Uh, exactly. 
And then when we're introduced to Abraham, he gives him two of the same qualities. Exactly the same. And the one that is missing is that Abraham is not called a righteous person. In that place, he is not yet. And we're going to, the reason I'm going to go on immediately to to another quality here. Uh, But the other aspect of this, of course, is that uh, Noah is portrayed as being the epitome of what God wants. And the people are portrayed as being the opposite of what God wants. And then you already said, Rabbi, uh, when uh, Abraham is negotiating with God, he says, shall not the judge of all the earth do justly? And so there, that quality of justice, uh, which was omitted prior to that, Abraham says to God, you are the embodiment of justice, and even you, God, are bound by this quality which you demand in the world. You you demand in the world that it be a just place, and you too have to limit yourself to those actions. And what I want to emphasize here, therefore, is that in his questioning of God and in his satisfaction that God will do justly, the question of justice in the command to Abraham in chapter 22, the question of is this a just a request from Abraham is taken off the table because what people don't realize is in this story, Abraham has the confidence from chapter 18. He has the confidence that whatever the outcome, it will be a just outcome. So Abraham, you're suggesting, knows in advance how this episode is going to play out. And it's not a and it's not a surprise to him that if God asks him to take a walk uh, to Mount Moriah, that Abraham can feel confident that his son is coming back. No, I'm not suggesting that. Actually, ah, what I'm okay, is that whatever the outcome is to be, the question of justice that has arisen in Abraham's head when he gets this request from God or this demand from God, this test from God, as the chapter opens, saying after these things, God tests Abraham. Okay? He knows that whatever whatever the outcome is, and he's all he knows at the beginning, of course, is that he's, he's taking his son up as a sacrifice. But the question of is the, is the outcome going to be just that is off the table. And so what is God really asking of Abraham in chapter 22? Well, then you have to go back to this whole idea that Abraham in in a Genesis chapter 15 goes before God and says, look, I, you know, I have no son. And so my, my servant Eliezer is going to inherit me. And there God promises Abraham that no, his descendants will be as numerous as the stars of the heavens and as numerous as the sands of the sea, and he will be inherited by his own offspring. And then there comes the promise in chapter 17 of a son. So Abraham knows that God is going to fulfill this promise, okay? And he thinks that the promise is going to go on and he will have the son. And then suddenly God says, look, you are my servant. 
I want to know whether you love this son, who is the epitome of your life, who is the apple of your eye, whatever, whatever superlatives you want to use. You've been waiting your whole adult life for this child, and I promised him to you, and I'm taking him away. Do you love me more, or do you love this son more? You have to, in this moment, choose. That's the real question. And when congregants say today, but it's unjust, Rabbi, look at the Holocaust. Would you sacrifice your child? And all? Of course not. Of course I would not. But I do not have the guarantees that Abraham had in his day. Uh, so, so you're asking our listeners who might read simply the literal text as it sounds to make these connections between Noah, the story of Noah, the story of Abraham and bartering with God at Sodom and Gomorrah, the story of Abraham's promise, God's promise to Abraham about having offspring and the importance of Isaac as offspring as opposed to Ishmael. And you're saying to our listeners, look, rather than read the text just as a literal document, and we're not asking you to list, read it as a chronological document, but we're asking you to synthesize contextually what this narration says, narratological understanding. And when we put all the pieces of the narrative together, then we come up with a test that you're suggesting. God says to Abraham, you know all of this about me, God says. Abraham, you've experienced my promises. You've seen how I fulfill my promises. Now I'm asking you, when it comes to this child, the offspring of my promise, and it comes to me, the focus of the very first promise in Genesis 12, I want you to choose. And you're now suggesting that Abraham, while he may not have known the uh, outcome of this test, knew who God was and knew that God was just, having challenged him. Doesn't that suggest that Abraham was not discomforted to go into this test, but was uh, sure wow. that the that the tester was going to make it a fair test? Uh, unlike doing our university exams, where we're never sure um, that the tester is really interested in fairness or that all the promises that have been made about what's going to be on the test will be fulfilled, you're suggesting Abraham had surety about who the tester was. Am I right in, in that? Absolutely. It's a great summary. But let me just say one thing about the outcome. Abraham knows also that he is human. And he knows that perhaps he can't imagine how uh, taking his son from him may be just and yet he has to admit that God's ways are inscrutable. So whereas he can't imagine it, uh, perhaps such a thing might exist. Although I agree with you that he has a certain amount of assurance. But there's another thing operative here. And that is, and we all go through this. This is our human experience. We may be devoted to God. We may consider ourselves to be God's servants. And we say, you know, I would do what God asks of me. 
But suppose it comes to the point where you are challenged that something in the material world, something in the physical world, uh, some, something that you love beyond all imagination that is yours, okay, ch- comes into conflict with that love of God. Which one will you choose? And I would even go so far, so far as to propose to you that we all of us confront this in some form, not only in our lives infrequently, but maybe even frequently, where we feel that God really wants us to do something. But you know what? We would prefer another path because we're very much devoted to something in our material lives. Now, this is sometimes referred to as idolatry. Idolatry is putting something material above something that is God. Something that is divine. Something something that we raise to the level of the divine, and we serve that instead of God. So this is the ultimate test in our tradition. Of course, there are 10 tests beginning in chapter 12, and this last test in chapter 22, where Abraham absolutely has to choose what do you love most, the divine or something that I gave you that is deserving of your love, deserving of your devotion, but not as much as God. Wow. And so what is Abraham's real uh, alternative here? So he goes through it and notice the point at which he is stopped. Okay? He is stopped when his hand begins to descend with the knife. And then the angel shouts out, Abraham, Abraham. But it's only at the point that the knife begins to descend. Because at that moment, uh, God knows, God acknowledges and sees that Abraham is committed to the action that he needs to take to make the choice. And isn't that our human dilemma as well? Oh, yes, I'm going to donate. Oh, yes, I'm going to do God's ways. But do we actually fulfill the promise? So it's the, the point at which Abraham commits by his actions that the angel shouts out, Abraham, Abraham, do nothing to the lad. Wow. So as I'm listening to you, Rabbi, you're making this interesting connection from a story that troubles us and for which we actually rarely see ourselves in the role of Abraham. You're asking us to see ourselves uh, much more in light of that relationship between Abraham and God, in which we ourselves have to choose between simply verbalization of fact and acting on fact. And where do we draw the line to act on our faith or simply to uh, and act on our faith in more than just liturgical matters or more than sacramental matters, but act in our faith with a wholeness of heart um, with regard to other people. It's a powerful lesson. Um, and maybe that's why we're asked to read it uh, on uh, the holy days, because that's the, that's, that's the yes, it's the essential day where Jews are asked to really consider what it means to be in relationship with God. Exactly, exactly. And begins the penitential time when we repent before God. The month before, as you well know, we repent with other human beings who we may have transgressed against. But these are the, this is the first of the 10 days in which we repent and ask God's forgiveness for ways in which we have not been faithful. 
And and so, yeah, it may be in some sense, the, it makes us very queasy, right, to read this story. Right. I, yeah. I mean, we see our own children in this. And, oh, my God, would I, uh, no, I would, in no sense would I sacrifice a child. But God demands justice. And, and God works according to justice. And if we have a guarantee of justice, then we can go ahead. Now, we, of course, in our day, are agents of justice. Here, Abraham was not being asked to do what is just. He was asking to do what is faithful. But in our day, the primary challenge, it seems to me, is are we willing to do that which is just in dedication to God? And how do we understand justice in the biblical sense and perhaps in later Jewish texts? Because tzedek, tzedek, Tirdof, justice, justice you shall pursue, is the quote from Leviticus, Deuteronomy 16.20. Right. Okay. So uh, God commands us to do justice and and doubles the verb, tzedek, tzedek, tirdof, and justice, the intensity of the Hebrew, you shall pursue. So how do we understand that? Yes, so this would be the role of all of the commandments uh, for Jews. And we say that there are 613, but it frankly is just a number. But all of the commandments uh, are dedicated to the idea of you shall pursue justice. And the note, the thing to note about commandments is that they become very specific because after all, we find ourselves daily in difficult circumstances. What precisely is justice in this case? So whether it's a medical decision that has to be made, you know, or um, whether it's a, how do I treat my neighbor? These things can be very, very difficult. Just to give you an example, of course, we're often, I'm often asked, Rabbi, do I give something to somebody on the street? You know, he would he's likely to use it for alcohol. And I go, well, that's his choice. Your choice is whether to give him food. Okay, so best, of course, is to give that person food, but to help him along the way. And if he makes a choice that maybe it's a wise choice for him, maybe it's not a wise choice, but at least you have performed justice. And 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 so we get confused about some of these things, but we our tradition does, in fact, lead us to, in minute circumstances, the idea of God's ultimate criterion, we must be just. And so... Again, to clarify it for our listeners, what you're suggesting is we have this overarching concept of justice. But in all of our lives, the question of what is just permeates the world that we live in. So the Torah is very specific through its mitzvot. Thou shalt not put a stumbling block in front of the blind. Thou shalt not curse the deaf. Um, now, how you actualize that is always a conversation through the ages in terms of the specificity. Um, and clearly, our ancestors didn't think it was rele- relegated to simply uh, saying bad things about a deaf person or a person unable to hear. But they understood it as taking advantage of those who didn't understand um, and that we would see as justice when we talk about those who are emotionally challenged, physically challenged, don't p- 
put a uh, stumbling block in front of the blind might lead us to really understand our obligation to those who are handicapped or who are disadvantaged. Um, the specificity of Jewish law is to give us a means of acting out the seminal uh, in inculcating of our relationship with God. It's a brilliant and wonderful insight. Uh, I want to thank my guest, Rabbi Mark Levin of uh, Overland, Missouri, uh, for joining me to talk about Parashah Vayera. You can hear a podcast of this morning's conversation on iTunes or on the CHRI website. For Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts, I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten saying shalom and have a good day. Shalom, 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 shalom.